Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. once went on a job interview and I was really nervous, but they seemed excited to have me. They told me I was a perfect fit for the job, and so I was excited to be there. They greeted me at the front door with joy, asked me if I wanted a cup of coffee, asked me if there was anything that I could, they could do for me before our interview, and they invited me into the interview space. And I walked in, and they said, go ahead and sit wherever you want. And so I went to the chair, and I went to except right there, don't sit there. Uh, maybe one of those chairs over there. So then I went over to one of those chairs and he said right before I sat down, hold on a second, actually it would be better if you sat here. <laughs> and at first I thought this has got to be some leadership principle, like see how does this guy deal with you know, difficult situations or unknowns or whatever. But as I left, I didn't get the job by the way, newsflash, uh, I didn't want it. <laughs> by the time I left, I thought, what a way to receive somebody. What a way to receive You know, the way we receive people in our lives is important. The way we bestow honor upon them, the way we show hospitality, the way that we invite them into our lives, into this church, matters. It matters especially when we consider how do we invite King Jesus into our hearts. We read and we celebrate this day, the triumphal entry, the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem, seated on a donkey. And how did everyone receive him? And we'll see as we go through today's text that not everyone received him the same way. And this is a lesson for us. For we need to understand what does it mean to truly receive Jesus as king? John, the apostle John in his gospel in chapter one writes, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the idea that we receive Jesus in believing in him and what does that look like for us matters. He gave the right, back to the verse, to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God alone. So today I want us to see and to question ourselves, how am I receiving the king? Am I receiving him in word only? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord with joy and exaltation, excitement. Or are we receiving the king and what's in it for me? I think as we begin to get honest with ourselves, as we begin to go through the text and we see the, sort of the characters in the passage, that we'll be able to say, you know what, there are times that I receive Christ into my life, that I invite Christ into a situation, into a circumstance, not to savor, serve, and submit to him, but what is it that he can do for me? What is it that Jesus can change in my life? If we were in the crowd that day, what would we be saying? What would we be looking for? A spectacle? A meal? Because it's possible to follow Jesus 
Call him our king, call him our Lord, our friend and savior. Advocate for his teachings in our culture, in our churches, but never truly receive him as your king, the king, your friend, and your savior. We must move from having Christ in our mind to Christ in our heart. Submitting from this place and trusting him, inviting him through the gates of our heart and submission. So turn with me to John 12, verses 1 through 19. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We'll have it up here. If you do, I'd love you to open up with me. We're going to look at the anointing of Jesus in the beginning of chapter 12 in Bethany, and we're going to go all the way through Jesus entering the gates of Jerusalem and what has been known or what has come to be known as the triumphal entry. This is what God's word says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. The therefore, why? Because they're searching for him to arrest him. So he went out of the town to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. And Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Bethany's a little less than two miles away from Jerusalem. So it was a, a bedroom community of Jerusalem, I guess you could say. And this is where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived. These were siblings that had followed Jesus from very early on. Mary and Martha were in that, if you recall, that circumstance where one was serving and one was, was being with Jesus. And there was controversy. Lord, tell my sister to help me. And Jesus says, she has the better portion because I will not always be with you. And then we have Lazarus, the one Jesus loved, his friend, the one for whom Jesus wept that he raised from the dead and called out of the tomb. The Pharisees were openly seeking to arrest him. And so he lodged in this house. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus there? To have Jesus there in your home, eating with you and supping and conversing with you. I think about this and what would that be like? What must it have been like? What, what do I try to create in my own life when I am having intimate dinners with people around my table? I wish I were there I think about those three siblings and I look and I see that Martha served and Lazarus sat and Mary anointed. And I look at those three movements and I consider, where would I be? Where would I be? I think it's important that we see in these actions of all three of the siblings a picture of what it means to receive the king into our hearts. We see them serving. We see them submitting. We see them savoring. Martha, being Martha, bringing out the plates and serving Christ and those around him, his people. We see Lazarus just sitting at the table with him, enjoying the presence of Christ. And we see Mary savoring, submitting, and serving her Lord. Verse four. But Judas Iscariot, so on the one hand, we see these siblings living this way with Christ and then Judas. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, 
said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said to her, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Judas gets up and makes a very plausible, even a religious argument. Why are we wasting this money? This is 300 denarii. To give you an idea of how much this expensive this uh, perfume was, it was about 300 days wages of the average laborer of Israel. So think about that today. What would that be like? I don't know, 30 grand? Expensive. Expensive. She brings out this which was, by the way, probably part of a dowry or something of her bride price or something having to do with what it would be in her future, what it would mean for her future and how she could find a husband or who her husband was. doesn't say if she was married or not. So it was very valuable, not only in financial terms, but in heart terms to her. According to the other gospels, it wasn't just Judas who complained either. It was the other disciples as well. Because they thought it in their minds, but Judas is the one who got up to say it. Of course, Judas uses these plausible words because it makes sense even as we look on it today, really, if we took Jesus out of the equation. Should I take this perfume, this expensive thing I have, and sell it so that we can help the poor around? Or to continue the ministry of this rabbi I'm following and these people who are following with him? Would I be accused of holding something back when everybody else had given everything? Yet Mary did for a reason. The Lord moved Mary to hold that, that nard. It's such a funny word, isn't it? Nard. Hold that nard back, that expensive ointment in order for this moment, this very moment. Judas was just seeking an opportunity to shame her for why she didn't give that money, all because he had interest in it. I just imagine his eyes get big as he sees this nard come out and thinking all of the things he could have purchased with the money that that ointment would have made. Now compare Judas's words and actions to that of Lazarus. Judas gets up and says, why are we wasting this? Yet Lazarus sits before Jesus, savoring Jesus' presence, saying, all this doesn't matter I am going to be with my Lord. So this is our first lesson from this text today is that we are called to savor Christ and his salvation. Do we savor Jesus? Do we think, when we think about Jesus, do we think, oh, fairest Lord Jesus. Do we sit in his presence and consider what it means to be saved, to be his adopted brother or sister? Judas had all of the evidence that Christ was king. He heard Jesus' words. He saw Jesus' miracles. Jesus opened the scripture and said, see, this is talking about me. Yet despite everything he saw, all the truth he heard, the beholding of Christ with his very eyes, his sinful desires prevented him from truly receiving Christ as king. Now, we look at Judas in the scripture often as a scapegoat, and I think with good reason, because he's depicted in this way, the one who would be, the one that the scriptures foretold would be the betrayer of Jesus. 
So we try to distance ourselves from him and say, not I, I would never do what Judas did. But we miss an important lesson if we do. If we fail to see ourselves in Judas more than we dare, we fail to learn important lessons about what's actually happening in our heart. This applies to us more than we think. Because the truth is, is we too carry our heart's desires and let them run amok. Just like I went into the job interview and I said, they could sit wherever you want. Oh, but not there. Or there. Don't we do that to Jesus? Lord, come into my life. I receive you by faith. I will let you have any area of my life. Sit in any chair. Oh, but not that one. That's my job. That's my money. Not that one. Oh, my relationships. Maybe you could just sit over there in the Sunday morning 9 to 11 a.m. seat. When we receive the king as the king, everything is open to him for it's all his anyway. We were created by him for him. Michael, I love that you said in your prayer about Christ being for us. Scripture says that he was for us. If, he, if God is for us, who can be against us? But in this, I also want us to remember that we are for God. We are for God. Are you receiving the king, savoring his presence? Lord, I'm here for you too. <laughs> I just want to be with you. We think of lusting over the things of this world, how we can be the God of our own lives, how we might get ahead. And we place our own desires and wants before the Lord's will for our lives. I wonder, I really do, if in my life and in the life of this church, we were 100% sold out to the will of the Lord, how many of us would be here? Some of us would be on the mission field in a foreign country. Some of us would have entirely different careers or jobs. When we allow God, Jesus, the king of our life, to have his way and to reign every area, our lives will change. As we grow in the Lord, we learn to submit more and more. This is part of what the struggle of the Christian life is. The moment we're saved, we are not made sinless at all. But a process begins in our heart where we learn more and more to live out of the heart that Jesus gave us at the moment of salvation, saying, not my will, but thine. We're all in a process. Some move faster than others, but all of it is by the grace of God alone. We're never exempt from this tendency. Like Judas, though, we expect others to behave in certain ways because it affects us. I was in a small group the other day, and I was telling somebody, this is so ugly, and so I apologize beforehand, about my prayers for people. Sometimes I pray for people, say, Lord, make this person more like Jesus because they're really annoying me right now. <laughs> Why is that person like that? Lord, show him the truth. May he truly receive the scripture as it's been stated, because if he did, 
he wouldn't be bothering me so much. Isn't that ugly? I would say raise your hand if you've ever done something like that, but we expect others to behave in certain ways because how it affects us, how we view ourselves, how we view our society, how we view the lives around us. Like Judas, we can allow our expectations of personal gain, love of comfort, or fiend righteousness to cloud our judgment and therefore remain the same. How often do we read the scripture and focus in and narrow in on passages that we hold near and dear to our heart for good reason? You are saved by grace through faith. We will hold on to that because it's the truth of the gospel. But you know what else is the truth of the gospel? The book of Amos that talks about your brother and sister who's poor about going out of your way to let equity and righteous and justice come down upon our society. How often will we focus on one aspect that makes us feel better, or usually the part that's easiest for us? And we neglect the other finer points of the law, but the just as important pieces of God's scripture. This illustrates the importance of opening all of the word and opening all of our heart. Lord, what is it you're calling me to do? Who do I need to love better? Who do I need to submit to? Who do I need to help? And all the while, because we focus on one half, the easier half, and only open half of our heart to the king we want, we remain unchanged. Think about it. Who among you out of fear has refused to speak to somebody that you know the Spirit has told you to speak to? Who among you out of anger and resentment has minimized or explained away someone else's suffering because to address it would challenge your own beliefs? Oh, they're poor because they made bad choices their own fault. Because to open up the possibility in our hearts that God is calling us to change a society, to help those in need, to love the poor, to do whatever we can who, to people who look different, who think differently, somehow runs amok to what we believe about other aspects of the scripture. Lord, what is it that you want for me? How is it that you want me to live differently? Who among you out of greed has refused to help a brother or sister in their time of need? Because those resources were earmarked for something else. By the way, I've written these out of things that I've done. Who among you is gladly demurred from serving the Lord or someone else because of the practical difficulties even in the face of the Lord's help, I'm not equipped. I don't know how to do this. And so if we say, it'll be too hard. Jesus tells, us, tells Judas to leave her alone. That Mary's actions were more righteous than Judas's ideas, however righteous his suggestion may have been, on its face. In the book of Mark, Jesus says that Mary did a beautiful thing because she was preparing him for burial. There's even a beautiful hint here 
I don't know if this is what John intended. I don't know if this is part of it, but it just seems there's something here that he's being anointed as king before he enters the gates of Jerusalem. Mary's putting her money where her heart is. We all do that, don't we? Not just our financial resources, but the resources of our heart. The resources of our lives, our talents, our time, our priorities, our plans. There's some controversy among biblical scholars as to exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, leave her alone for she saved it. So does that mean that Mary poured all of her $30,000 anointment upon Jesus or did she retain some? I don't know. I looked at the Greek and the best I could understand it is that she anointed him and she likely retained a remainder of it for six days later, for six or so, however many days later, a week later, that she would then use to anoint Jesus in the tomb. But she had no idea. She had no idea. She had no idea either that her actions would be forever remembered. She just served the Lord, savoring his presence, submitting to him. And here we read about her 2,000 years later and take her actions as an example to us. It's beautiful. She was simply living out her devotion to Jesus despite the opinion of others and the personal cost. Nothing is too costly for our service to the Lord because his gift to us is of infinite value. Everything we have is from him anyway. We act like it's ours. The cost of holding back when he's calling us to give is a life wasted. Never, ever have I read, experienced, or heard of a story of someone on their deathbed saying, I wish I would not have followed Christ so hard. But I have heard, I wish I would have lived differently. I wish I would have given more to my Lord. I wish I would have acknowledged him more in my life. What are we placing between spending time with Christ? How can we savior the Savior better? I think this is part of what Paul is saying when he says pray constantly, pray without ceasing. It's to live forever in communication with God. It's to walk moment to moment. There you are, Lord. I see you, Lord. Lord, I'm listening. Your servant's ears are open from moment to to moment. It might mean to sit quietly in his presence more often. Now on Saturday, we're going to have a silent vigil in the basement. It's going to be about an hour long. When was the last time you sat an hour in silence before the Lord? You'd be surprised what he says. You'd be surprised what you hear. At the turn of the year, part of my New Year's resolution was to spend more time with the Lord, to spend more time in the presence of God, not just studying his word. I'm in God's word all week, all day. But I'm not in God's word for me. I'm not sitting before the Lord for myself. And so for several weeks, about a month actually, I got up in the morning, I sat down before my Bible, I opened it up, I'd read one little piece and then I would just sit there. 45 minutes, an hour. I just reckoned myself in the presence of Jesus. And you know what? He showed me all sorts of things about me 
about himself, about what he wants for me in my life, and how much he loves me. We're so busy, so distracted doing all of these other things. It used to be that if a church had 200 attenders or 200 members on a Sunday, you could expect a buck 80. More and more in the United States, we're seeing churches, four, 500 members with Sunday services of 150, 200 people. On the one hand, this is a demonstration that we recognize that God is not the church. We recognize that the institutional church is not where Jesus is. On the other hand, we take that to mean we never have to gather together as believers. We take that to mean that we don't have to be as devoted to him. We don't need to be in his presence. We keep our mind on him from moment to moment. We call ourselves Christians for a reason. We should be obsessed with Jesus. Obsessed. There's an old Hebrew phrase that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi walking along the dusty roads of Israel, may you be so closely behind him that when he walks, the dust from his feet covers you. And we live with gratitude, for in our gratitude, we recognize that everything we have is from Christ. The day, this day, is the day that the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it. Notice it doesn't say this day in all of its good circumstances is the day that the Lord has made. From humanly speaking, it could be a terrible day. The Lord has made it. And because he has ordained that we should walk in it by grace through faith in him, it's a good day. So savor Christ. Every moment of every day, Stand in his presence and enjoy his heart. Verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, Jesus plus something else, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made a plan to put Lazarus to death as well. I don't think I've ever read this verse before I studied this week on this. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees. And they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. We'll see, second point, we are called to not only savor Christ, but we're called to serve Christ and his people. What I want you to look compare is the actions of the crowd and what they're calling for to the actions of Martha. Martha is serving her Lord and his people. The crowds are calling for the Christ to serve them. The crowd came to be served. It's not the only time that they came to be served. They understood this whole piece in reverse. They sought a spectacle. There's a healer. I mean, I would do, let's go look. People are getting healed. They sought bread. They sought bread. Bread can mean anything in this life. 
In the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. The word daily there in Greek is not the word daily like we use it. It's come to be used in English like this, but it actually means, (laughs) this sounds funny, but the word I'm getting is our super duper bread. Give us this day our super duper bread. This over and above abundance and provision from the Lord. Give us what we need to survive. And may it be empowered by you and by your grace. They sought a spectacle, they sought bread, they sought a liberator. A liberator. In their shouts of Hosanna, it's Aramaic. Aramaic means, Lord, save now, save now. Hosanna, Hosanna. If we look back at that term, it's become by this time a term of acclamation. Sort of the way we just say hallelujah to whatever good thing happens. Hallelujah. But at this time, it meant something different. In Psalm 118, the psalm that is, this is the day that the Lord has made. In that same psalm, this line is in there. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you read the whole psalm, it's about the coming king who would eliminate those who surrounded the nation of Israel and would finally, once and for all, come to shed the yoke of foreign oppression. We live in a land that's free. None of us remember what it's like here in America to live under the oppressive yoke of a foreign nation, but some of us do. And so while this might not seem like that big of a deal, what's been called the messianic expectation, the shedding of these foreign invaders, we lose sight of what that means. Everything the Jews sought to do, the way they sought to live for the Lord was being knocked down. Maybe here in the U.S. we're seeing a little bit more and more. We see we're speaking to speak the truth, we're shut down. We stand for what God's word says as truth and we're marginalized. Laws are made to keep us quiet. Now, here we might get a fine. In Rome, you get crucified. And they had no problem lining the streets of people who lived according to to God's word. The people wanted to shake the yoke of foreign oppression. They read the passages that talked about the Messiah's slaughtering of his enemies and overlooked the verses about his suffering for us. There's no doubt that among the crowd who was there, there were those who were yearning truthfully in their heart for healing and peace in an encounter with Christ. I mean, I think of people like Jairus. Jairus, whose daughter was on the verge of death, in fact, died. Jesus raised her. People like the bleeding woman, the woman with the 12 years of blood, making her unclean for 12 years. People like Mary Magdalene, from whom demons were cast. However, there's always a segment in the crowd that's looking for self-gratification. And I would even argue there's always a segment of each of our hearts that's looking for self-gratification. Even our service and submission to the Lord subtly can be self-centered. As long as we're asking ourselves, what can Jesus do for me? Now, we might not say it like that. 
But we can live like that. As long as we're placing conditions upon Christ, we'll never to be able to embrace his lordship. Because when things get hard and God doesn't give us the thing that we want, Lord, I come to you. I submit my life and my children to you. I will pray and live my life for you in every area. Kid goes off and does what they want. It's that much harder to follow the Lord. Lord, why didn't you do it? There was a time. There was a time that I was in prison and I had the opportunity to get out early. It was at four years. I was going to get work release. I did everything I could. I wrote letters. I begged people to write letters on my behalf. I contacted politicians. I did everything I could and wrote the most beautiful letter. It was, it was good. I would have let me out. <laughs> and I sent it off and it came back denied. And I had this moment with the Lord. I've been the model inmate. I've preached your word. I've walked people through the Bible and explained their need for you. I've watched you change lives in my ministry behind bars. I've done all of this for you. You can't give me this one thing? I look back on it now and I realized those two years were the most fruitful, transformative years in my life because I did not get what I thought I wanted. And it revealed in me that there were conditions to my following Christ joyfully. As long as God did what I wanted, I was gonna be happy-go-lucky, waving palms. But when Christ said no, and I couldn't see the reason why, it became hard. We grow resentment against the Lord himself. Receiving the king means that he is king. Receiving the king says, Lord, whatever you want from my life, whatever. We pick and choose sometimes which aspects of Christ's commands to follow. We'll surround ourselves with people who will not hold us accountable sometimes. We do. We won't talk about Jesus because we don't want people to use that information against us. And you call yourself a believer. We come with an attitude of take instead of an attitude of give. This is one of the biggest misunderstandings. It's a tragedy of the Western, particularly the American church. What's in it for me? Entertained? Pandered to? Where's my fulfillment? Five easy steps. Your life's going to be amazing. Live your best life now and every day. Have whatever you want and be a follower of Christ. Nothing wrong with entertainment. I come to church on Sunday, I am entertained. I love being with you guys. I love waving palms and singing praises to the Lord. I can't believe I'm saying that. There was a time like, who wants to go to church? I do. I want to be with you. I love to hear the truth, truth I believe in and reinforced within me. The Christian life is fulfilling when we live for the Lord, but it's not easy. It's always going to be hard and there's never going to be a time where we get everything that we want. Lord, you're the king. Take my heart. Accept this peace. Don't sit there because we confuse the ends with the means of church. We confuse the ends and means of Christ. We see Christ as a means to a fulfilling life. Christ as a means 
to salvation. Christ as a means, instead of seeing Christ, Christ. I was laughing the other day, the elders, we're talking about, for months we've been talking about mission, vision, value statement. And it keeps getting pushed to the next month because we've got other things to talk about. It keeps getting pushed. I said, you know what? Yesterday I was thinking, I got it. It's easy. It should be this. Mission, Christ. Vision, Christ. Value statement, Christ. Done. Everything else doesn't matter. Jesus. Jesus. We get all bent out of shape about stuff. We want things our way. We want it to look a certain way, sound a certain way. We want our lives to be a certain way. We organize everything around us in order to get it just the way we want and then ask Jesus, bless this. What if our whole life, the faithful farmer, the soldier, the slave was about, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? And the crowd misunderstood this. They were waiting for a redeemer, a liberator, the warrior coming in on the mighty steed. But look at verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. There's only one thing more humble than a donkey. That's a baby donkey as humble as you can get. It's obvious that the crowd misunderstood the nature of Jesus' mission. Obvious. Christ came to suffer and die at the hands of men for our sin. We read it in Isaiah 53. The people ignored that and only saw the Savior will come and redeem Israel, vanquish the enemy. Now is the time. Hosanna, Lord, come. The people thought Jesus would come to take them out of bondage when actually he came this time to take the bondage out of them. We need to move from what can I get from Christ to what must I become through Christ? Who must I be for Christ? 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him. Behold, daughter of Zion from Zechariah, Chapter 9, verse 9. Suffering servant, Isaiah 52 and 53. Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All of these scriptures are written about this moment in this time. Written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, we're gaining nothing. The whole world's going after him. What the Pharisees failed to see is what Martha saw, or was what Mary saw, submission to the Lord. Submission to the Lord. Number three, submit ourselves and our expectations to Christ. Say, Lord, I'll do what you want, but I expect a life of ease. I expect a life of goodness. My kids will never be wayward. I'll never get sick. Everything will be fine until one day I'll go to heaven blessedly in my sleep. Laneen laughs. We talk about our death sometimes, will, things like that, right? State planning things. She goes, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. 
We're going to die one night holding each other, hugging. And we're going to be translated to heaven. And everything's going to be perfect until that day. <laughs> I'm doing my best to make it happen, but I don't know. I don't know about perfect. The Pharisees had created a religion about what they read in the scripture instead of cultivating a relationship with the God who wrote it all. The danger of looking at only scripture without recognizing that there is a person behind it and doing so with the heart of, I want what I want, we start manipulating all sorts of things in the word to fit our expectations, our needs, our worldview. They came to confuse earning with effort. When you read the Old Testament, you see God by grace gave them everything that they had, called them out of Egypt for doing nothing on their own, simply said, I'm taking my people. Through signs and wonders, parting of the Red Sea, he takes them out of their bondage and brings them to the promised land by grace. Yet the Pharisees took it to mean the harder we work, the more God will do for us. The better we are, the more God will serve us. We do this. They did it. We do this too. We misunderstand the holiness of God. We make the commands of God attainable. We say, oh yeah, I can do it. And I've done 95% of it. What's your grade? The truth is, is we can never attain the holiness of God, ever. God's holiness is so far beyond the pale, we will never and could never reach it. Even when we're in heaven, free from our sin nature, God's holiness will be so far different than who we are. We can't even get close. Yet the Pharisees and sometimes we believe that we can do it. And then when we fail, we go get down and I can't believe I didn't do that. Well, why not? You're not holy. Neither am I. None of us are. God's holy. Not only did they misunderstand the holiness of God, they misunderstood their own sinful nature. They didn't realize how broken that they actually were and how deep the root of sin goes in their hearts. So they made everything about external issues, not the outward expression of a changed heart that was totally dependent of God, upon God. The Pharisees should have seen the Bible, should have seen what God's law was and said, I can't do this. None of us can do this. Lord, in your mercy, I'll do whatever I can to follow you, but Lord, it is your mercy that saves us. What would a life like that look like? We too often make the focus of our personal faith on things other than Christ alone, following rules instead of looking to the one. If we're not careful, we allow these secondary issues to dictate our faith instead of submitting to the Lord. We say, I have a theological education and I hold to these principles. I'm this ism, this ism, this ism, and this ism. Therefore, I am doctrinally pure. And we point to the isms so we don't have to submit. I have a degree in theology. Theology is really important. But not when we use it to justify ourselves before the Lord. The Lord wants our submission, not our knowledge, not our degrees. We point to social justice and activism. We say, I've done everything for these communities. I've helped communities. I've changed communities. I've done these things. Look at all of the good work I'm doing so I don't have to submit. 
We make our personal growth more important than submitting to Jesus. Or cultural or political movements and parties, personal preferences. If we're not careful, we will place the wrong things in the position of king in our life. It is a constant threat to the Christian life to allow anything or any person to sit upon the throne that belongs to Jesus, King Jesus, alone. Alone. We misunderstand our sinfulness. We misunderstand the value of Christ's sacrifice for us because if we did, if we did understand, we'd be on our faces. In submission before the king, in love and gratitude for what he has done. In the Old Testament, the word to worship, like for instance, we see the, I'm thinking about in 1 Samuel, where Elkanah goes to, to Shiloh to worship the Lord. That word doesn't just mean to worship in our hearts. It means to bow down on our face, to get on the ground before the Lord. It's not a groveling. This is not a, this is, you loved me and you did everything for me. I will cling to you. I will, whatever you want on my life for you to be king of my heart. The Pharisees did, clearly did not understand what was happening. So they were not going to submit to this Messiah, this so-called Messiah. They just wanted Jesus to go away. They were even willing to do, to kill Lazarus. And then finally Christ, to silence him. And the testimonies of those who could witness to his transforming power. We see this today. This is not a new trick. This is not, if they can't, if Satan cannot get us to believe something else, he'll get us to be marginalized. He'll get us to be quiet. He'll make every, he'll make us look foolish, right? Oh, this is what I believe. Oh, how, how could you believe that? It's so foolish. You're a fool. The gospel is foolish. God's chosen the weak and the foolish to shame the proud. The world seeks to silence us and our testimonies. May it never be so. I was talking to someone the other day. I said, well, what happens if I deny the Lord? So what do you mean? I don't know. I'm so afraid that one day in the future I might say, Lord, I don't want you. I, I don't, I'm done. I don't. I said, what about at the end times when the church will be persecuted? There will be persecution. What do we do in that day? Do we submit to an earthly king? and say, I'll say whatever you want? Or do we submit to Christ and say, Christ alone is my king? I gotta be honest with you. I pray for the grace to be a strong, powerful witness for the Lord in that day. And I'm trusting that the Lord will give me what I need at that moment because right now it's a terrifying proposition. It's terrifying. And it'll only get worse. We need to look to the Lord as our king. Receive him as the one we serve, the one to whom we submit, and the only one we savor so that we too can be prepared to shout on that day, Hosanna. 
Hosanna. May our lives be testimonies and not just words. May we live like the king is real and the king has come. The Pharisees of all people needed to submit to Christ as their Messiah. They knew the scriptures better than anybody. Think about that. Anybody. Yet they missed it because they had false expectations and their pride and it prevented them from seeing the truth about who God is and what he would do. They missed the most important movement of God in history. May it never, ever be so for us because our eyes are fixed and all of our hopes and expectations checked in submission, savor, and service to the one who is coming, the king. So savor Christ and his salvation. Serve Christ and his people and submit ourselves and expectations to Christ our King, for that's exactly what he is, a king who reigns and allows things to happen. Is Christ calling the shots in your heart? A king protects. Are you sheltered in the shadow of his wings? For our king, court is always in session. He loves that we are with him, sitting at his feet, enjoying his presence and love. And so as we sing, as we sing, may we too recognize ourselves in the presence of our king, in our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. King Jesus, we, stay, we, we are here before you, Lord, to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that through my words, you will have spoken. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts as we leave this day, as we consider this next Holy Week, this Passion Week. Lord, may we constantly be thinking and considering and reckoning ourselves in your presence. We pray, Lord, that we would just write you a blank check, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to submit every area, every chair of our heart to your lordship, to your kingship. And Lord, we pray that you would reign and that we would receive you with joy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.